Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20. We're going to start at verse 17 tonight. Paul is finishing up his third missionary journey. He is actually on his way back to Jerusalem. Uh, he's got a burden about being there uh, for a certain uh, e event that's going to transpire. We'll talk about that a little later. Um, he has, he has uh, gone to a lot of the churches that he started on that journey. Uh, he went back to Philippi, Thessalonica, Berea. He went to Corinth. Then he backtracked yet again and went back to all of those churches. The only church that he did not go to and visit was the church at Ephesus. We can only guess at the reasons for that. We know from previous studies that Paul endured a lot of persecution and afflictions while he served at Ephesus. And uh, we'll make some mention of that maybe in a, in a few moments. Uh, we're not sure if that's the reason that he did not stop there. But he ended up at a place called Miletus, verse 17. And from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church. Elders is another term for pastor. Uh, it refers to spiritual maturity, not necessarily chronological age, but the idea of spiritual maturity. So Paul is at this place called Miletus, which is south of Ephesus. He called the elders of the church to come down and meet with him there. And what he's going to talk to them about in the remainder of this chapter uh, is, is very important. It's very uh, near and dear to his heart. Uh, 25 years ago this last May on a Sunday evening, I conducted my last service as the pastor of Heritage Baptist Church in Jeanette, Pennsylvania. Um, the, the next day, we would load up our van, and by, uh, by the, the following Thursday, we would actually be here in Wallingford. We had spent six and a half years there, like Paul, uh, starting the church at Ephesus. That's what the Lord had allowed us to do in Jeanette. Many of the folks that were gathered that night were people that we had won to Christ, people that we had discipled, uh, and so forth. And that evening, the, my heart was full, their hearts were full, and uh, there was some reminiscing that went on. Uh, there was some talk about what God had done. There was some hope uh, and vision about the future and a new pastor that was coming in uh, to lead them from that point on. In my heart, it was very important. That church was, in some ways, my child. Uh, Trina and I felt like we were parents and, and we were responsible. And, and we wanted to make sure that they stayed faithful to the Lord and they went forward in their Christian lives. And it's been 25 years. And I've gone back several times. It's been about a year and a half since I've been able to be there. But it's a joy to go back and see many of the same people still sitting there, still serving, and to see a host of people that are brand new within the last 25 years uh, and still coming in and all that God has done. Paul is standing before the leaders of the church that he started, that he pastored for the longest term of any church he pastored in his ministry. It was from that church we know that the gospel went to everybody that lived in Asia. The Bible says everybody, both Jew and Gentile, had heard the word of the Lord. So Paul has a burden on his heart. He has a lot that he wants to, to talk to them about. Uh, Paul is going to say some things that are very personal. Please understand he's not bragging. 
as he does so. That was not Paul's nature at all. But Paul is reminding them of some important truths, lest they should forget them. Starting in verse number 18, we're going to delve into Paul's final sermon to the folks at Ephesus. Now, we know some years later, he would write them a letter called the book of Ephesians. But this is his last sermon to them. Verse 18, and when they were come to him, he said unto them, ye know from the first day that I came into Asia, after what manner I have been with you at all seasons, serving the Lord with all humility of mind and with many tears and temptations, which befell me by the lying in wait of the Jews, and how I kept back nothing that was profitable unto you, but have showed you and have taught you publicly and from house to house, testifying both to the Jews and also to the Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's stop at verse 21 and we'll back up just a little bit there. Uh, if we, I, I generally teach and even preach in an outline form. Uh, when I do my devotions, I tend to outline things. My mind works better that way. We want to look at the first couple verses here uh, where Paul talks about his faithfulness in persecutions and problems. His faithfulness in persecutions and problems. Verse 18 again. When they were come to him, he said unto them, Ye know from the first day that I came into Asia, after what manner I have been with you at all seasons. I have that last phrase highlighted in my Bible. After what manner I have been with you at all seasons. Keep your place here. Turn back to Ecclesiastes chapter 3. Ecclesiastes chapter 3. Life is made of seasons. Just like the year is divided, winter, spring, summer, and fall, life is the same way. It's, it's never all the same thing all the time. It's up and down, and it's always changing. Ecclesiastes 3, verse 1, to everything there is a what? To everything there is a season, and a time to every purpose under the heaven. We know this passage very well, a time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to pluck up that which is planted. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to break down and a time to build up. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to cast away stones. Time to gather stones together and so forth. And Solomon is going through talking about the seasons of life. And, and we go through them. Um, you know, uh, we just had a new grandchild born into our family, and uh, I try to make sure every day that I get my baby fix. And, uh, you know, just I, I'm trying to teach Wesley that I am his favorite uh, and all those kind of things, and I think he believes me. Uh, and, and, you know, we enjoy that. And as, as a grandfather, you know, I'm, I've got 11 of them now, and, and uh, I, I can just kind of look back to the birth of, of all of them. I remember when uh, Tim and Carla told us they were expecting. Uh, I remember the night we were traveling I-80 in Pennsylvania on our way to see them, and they told us that they were going to have twins. We were at Cracker Barrel having dinner. And uh, Trina got up from dinner and went out shopping in Cracker Barrel and bought outfits for her twins. Uh, just just the, that uh, 
Trina had a buy one, get one free coupon. And so they got two for the price of one. But uh, we, we enjoyed that season of having newborn little granddaughters. And, and the, I remember the first time we went up to, to meet them and so forth. And now they're, those same little girls are in eighth grade and they're now teenagers. And it won't be long, they'll be college. And then it won't be long after that, there'll be weddings and great grandchildren and all that. Life is just filled with seasons. We have ups and downs. We have times where it seems like everything's going very, very well. Everybody's healthy. The job's going great. The car's running great. Every, everybody's getting along. And then it just seems like we go through a rough patch and, and uh, maybe everybody's sick all at the same time or, or finances get rough, uh, that type of thing. Uh, we go through a lot of seasons, but we don't always react to seasons in the same way. We're very happy when we get a raise. We're very happy when we get a new car. Uh, we're very happy when a new grandchild or a new child arrives. Uh, and, and we ought to be. Those are great occasions. And our joy is full in those moments. But how are we when things go the other direction? Do we still have the joy of the Lord to be our strength? Or do we turn into this sullen uh, unpleasant, uh, grumpy, hard to get along with person because we're going through a difficult time. Paul, go back to Ephesians, or I'm sorry, Acts chapter 20. He said, you know, from the very first day I came into Asia, you know, you know after what manner I have been with you at, what's the next word, church? At all seasons. Now he, he's speaking to them. He, he can't fib to them. He, he can't tell them something that's not true because they could just sit there and say, oh, wait, no, 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 no. Uh, you're a number one grouch when you have a headache or you're you're you, you got so out of sorts uh, and that type of thing. They could have stopped him mid sermon. So Paul has to be very honest with him because they know. And that's why he says, you know what what I've been like. He said, what manner of person I've been at all seasons. What a good testimony. What a good testimony that, that uh, Paul could stand before them and said, I I've been the same. Keeping your place here, 2 Timothy chapter 3. Timothy would become pastor of the church at Ephesus. He was probably in that meeting in Acts chapter 20 and heard what Paul said to them. And now as Paul is writing his last letter from prison, notice what Paul says to Timothy in chapter 3, verse 10. But thou hast fully known my doctrine, next three words, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, charity, patience, persecutions, afflictions, which came unto me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra, what persecutions I endured, but out of them all, the Lord delivered me. Paul and Timothy got together in Iconium on Paul's second missionary journey. They traveled for years together. Um, I'm, we're talking day in and day out. Uh, everywhere Paul went, for the most part, Timothy was there. And Paul is able to write to Timothy and said, but you fully know, if anybody knows what I'm like, um, we're, we're usually pretty good at church when we're in front of people, am I right? We don't want anybody to pe really think we're a curmudgeon, something like that. Uh, it's what we're like at home is what we really are. Uh, Dr. Bob Jones Sr. used to say, what you are when you're alone 
is what you really are. Paul's writing to Timothy said, you were with me when we weren't in church. You were with me when we were, you know, aboard some ship or we were walking some lonely trail or or, or traveling down some highway somewhere. And uh, you heard everything that I said. You knew whether I prayed or not. You knew whether I studied or not. You knew how I, I treated people. You knew if I was honest or not. And so Paul has a testimony. He's now saying to Timothy years later, you have known my manner of life. It's very important that we maintain uh, that type of a testimony uh, in our lives. Uh, Go back to Acts again. So Paul is making a a statement there before them. He said, you know what I've been like at all seasons. And now he's going to specify a few areas. Verse 19. First of all, he says, serving the Lord with all humility of mind. With all humility of mind. A lowly spirit, a lowly spirit. Uh, the Bible says that God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace to the humble. We've used the illustration often, uh, and I've made the statement often, God's allergic to pride. Uh, pride turns God off, and, and he wants nothing to do with it at all. But God is drawn to, he, is, he, he embraces uh, humility. You realize how easy it would have been for Paul to get a big head. Um, I mean, let's face it. How many servants of the Lord have accomplished what Paul did? And he did it without the Internet. He did it without a printing press uh, and all of those things. He, he started churches all over the, uh, the Mediterranean world. God used him to write some 13 books of Scripture. Uh, his name was a household name amongst Christians everywhere, far and wide. Uh, God used him in incredible ways. And even at Ephesus, though there were a lot of afflictions there, that church had an amazing testimony and had an amazing influence all over the, the region known in the Bible as Asia. Uh, I believe that the seven churches in Revelation were all started out of the church at Ephesus. And though Paul may not have personally started them, it was his converts that did so. Sometimes success changes us. And if we're not careful, we'll start taking credit for something that only God could do. Jesus said in John chapter 15, for without me, ye can do nothing. But it's amazing. We do something and we think, yeah, I did a pretty good job on that. Yeah, God's pretty lucky to have me. And uh, if we're not careful, we can start getting a big head. And at that moment, we become unusable before the Lord. Paul said, you know, at all seasons, when things were going very, very well, I never got a big head. And when persecution broke out, did you know pride can set in in persecution? How, who are they to treat me like that? Don't they know what I've done? To, don't they know what I've done for them? And all of a sudden, we become very uh, self-important and, and uh, self-righteous almost. And it's, it's a, a weird form of pride, but it's pride nonetheless. Like, uh, you know, uh, uh, who are they to give me a hard time? Well, when you think about it, Jesus was the King of Kings, is the King of Kings, Lord of Lords, and they crucified him. Are we better than Jesus? He was sinless. We are not. 
Um, Paul, at all seasons, it didn't matter if it was a really great day or a really bad day, he kept that humble spirit. He says something else about him uh, in verse 19. Serving the Lord with all humility of mind and with many tears, with many tears, there was a godly sorrow that was a part of Paul. Turn back to, or turn ahead to Romans, if you would. And let's start at um, Romans chapter 9. And verse 1. I say the truth in Christ, I lie not, my conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Ghost, that I have great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart. For I could wish that myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. Continual sorrow in my heart. He's, he's just talking about his burden. And he's talking about his burden for his people, the Jewish people. From the early days of his ministry, from the early days of his Christian life when he first got saved, uh, the Jews in Damascus turned against him. He went to Jerusalem. The Jews that once uh, honored him as Saul of Tarsus and paid him money to persecute the, the believers, now they're trying to kill him and, and all of that. And he is watching in every town he's gone into. It didn't take long for the, uh, uh, the majority of his Jewish people, his blood, to, re to reject the Lord Jesus Christ. There'll always be some that got saved, but the multitude of them were rejecting Christ. And he said, I have continual sorrow in my heart for my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. How many of you know what Paul's feeling? Because there's somebody, somebody in your life that's not saved. You've tried to win them to Christ and they're still not saved. And you just can't escape that. Anybody like that? I'll, I'll meet with the one that I carry that kind of a burden for tomorrow morning for an hour. Um, th there's just something about it when you've tried to present the gospel and you've tried to live the gospel, but it's like they're not there. It's like they're not even close to the same page and you realize the clock's ticking. The clock's ticking. Every day is a day lost. Uh, every day is a day wasted. And Paul said, that's the way that I am. Here's this man busy about the work of the Lord, but it's coming from his heart, that godly sorrow. He talked about the many tears. Romans chapter 10, verse 1. Paul continues the theme, brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. So that's, that's my heartbeat. I just want the Jewish people to come to know Christ as their Savior. So back in Acts 20, he's reminding these people, he said, you know, you know that at all seasons, this is the way I've been. A lowly spirit serving the Lord with all humility of mind. Uh, a godly sorrow with many tears. And notice this, and temptations which befell me by the lying in wait of the Jews. There was a patient suffering. There was a patient suffering. Um, we've, we've gone back a, a number of times as Paul's referenced his time in Ephesus. In 1 Corinthians 15, he referred to certain moments in Ephesus as fighting with beasts. If I have fought with the beasts at Ephesus, he was talking about people now. 
He wasn't talking about wild animals. Uh, that's how these people uh, really came after him. We know of the riot that happened in Acts chapter 19 that went on for hours. Uh, and, and his friends kept him out of the theater lest he just literally be torn in pieces uh, by these individuals. Um, he wrote to the Corinthians that, that uh, he was pressed out of measure. Um, and, and he said at, at some points we even despaired of life. But he didn't quit. He didn't quit. Um, he, he stayed there. He served the Lord till the Lord said it's time to move on. Again, it was his longest ministry in his entire lifetime. Keeping your place in Acts, turn to Romans 12. Romans 12. And look, if you would, please. Paul is giving very simple instructions to believers here. Verse number 12. Rejoicing in hope. Hope is the confident expectation of good. There are times that I can't necessarily rejoice in what's going on at this very, very moment, but we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them are the called according to his purpose. So in hope of what God is doing, what God is going to do, I can still have joy, uh, even though I'm not seeing everything fulfilled like I would like right at the moment. So rejoicing in hope, next three words, patient in tribulation, continuing instant in prayer. Patient in tribulation. How many have ever gone through problems? Okay. Um, were you patient in them? <laughs> he says, no. <laughs> Patience is not my best quality. That's why I think God has me keep repeating things. And, you know, I'm on the rinse cycle a lot just because I'm not getting the, the hang of things there. You know, you're going to go through that tribulation, whether, whether you're happy or not, whether you're patient or not, you're still going to go through it. Um, I, what, what I found out is my impatience makes it worse. It makes it worse for me, and it wakes, makes it worse for everybody that's around me. Uh, patient in tribulation. Um, you notice I pledge allegiance a, a lot tonight. Um, I was with uh, Sam on Monday. Uh, in training and so forth, and it was it was somewhat of a of a lighter day, and uh, we were, we weren't doing anything real strenuous. But at one point, I just kind of had to sit down. It was it was in between sets, so it, it was a time to do that. But I, I I couldn't quite get this under control just a little bit, and uh, Sam and I we we kind of have our own code for things. Um, we don't we don't say you know this is bad or whatever. We just say yeah this is annoying. And he'll just look at me and goes, is it annoying? And I say, yeah, it's annoying. And he knows the best thing to do is just keep talking to me. We don't get quiet because that gets awkward. You know, I'm sitting here going, oh, like this. And he's just real quiet staring at me. So we would just talk and, you know, whatever he was talking about. Uh, when If he's talking about nutrition or he's talking about movement or we're talking about the weather or just be talking, you know, that, that type of thing. Um, uh, when we were over at the edge and, and, and that was going on, here I am clutching my chest and, you know, sometimes grimacing in pain. And Sam's got a smile on his face and he's just talking. He go, and he just say to me, he goes, you ought to see the looks I'm getting from people uh, is they're walking by watching you clutch your chest and I'm acting like it doesn't matter because I'm just shooting the breeze with you. 
Um, and we would laugh about that. You say, well, what is that? That's patient in tribulation. Me getting mad about this or frustrated with this, is it going to make me hurt less? Not even a little bit. Uh, it, it's not going to make my day any better. Um, and we all go through things like that, and, and we don't necessarily like them. But uh, Paul says you need to learn to be patient in tribulation. And back in Acts 20, he's reminding them that's exactly what he did. He said, you saw me. You saw my manner at all seasons. Um, he said, I, I serve the Lord uh, with, a, with humility of mind. I carried a godly sorrow and I didn't quit. I didn't get a bad spirit uh, because of all the problems that I, that I faced. Now, in verse 20, he's going to talk about not just his faithfulness in persecution and problems, but his faithfulness in preaching. Verse 20, and how I kept back nothing that was profitable unto you, but have showed you and have taught you publicly and from house to house, testifying both to the Jews and also to the Greeks, repentance towards God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul's preaching. I like what he says in verse 20, how I kept back nothing that was profitable unto you. How much of the Bible is profitable to us, all of us? Turn to 2 Timothy 3. I know you know it's there, but we need reminded of it. 2 Timothy 3. Verse 14. But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them. And that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is what? Profitable. profitable. How much scripture is profitable? All of it for doctrine, that's teaching. For reproof, that's this is wrong. You should not do this. For correction, this is how you change that. For instruction in righteousness, this is how God would have you to live. That the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. So Paul tells them, I've kept back nothing that was profitable. He shared with them the whole counsel of God. Um, we're living in a day and age that that's, that's not considered acceptable in a lot of places. We don't want we don't want preaching about sin and, and judgment. We want just preaching about love and, you know, live your best life now and, you know, all this kind of stuff. Turn to uh, Titus, or I'm sorry, Timothy, your second Timothy chapter four. Paul says, I charge thee before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. Preach the word. Be instant. That means be consistent. If you will, be the same. In season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers, having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. Boy, does that describe modern Christianity or what? Uh, we want, we want uh, church to be story time. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, uh, Doug Seeley preached on Sunday night, and somebody come after, come, come up afterward and said, "Is there any paint left on the walls?" And uh, I, by the way, I like preaching like that. 
Uh, I need preaching like that. Uh, I, I need reminded uh, of things from time to time. And, and I realize sometimes that, you know, the preaching rubs us the wrong way. Billy Sunday said, if you're rubbing the cat the wrong way, turn the cat around. Uh, you know, we need it all. And Paul gave them all of it. Um, I, I read a something somewhere the other day, I don't remember where I saw it, said that when we stand before the Lord, when we stand before the Lord, it's not going to say, well done, thou who has been loved. It's well done, good and faithful servant. Uh, that, that God loves us is a given. Amen. And aren't you glad for that? Uh, but there's, there's more to the word of God and the plan of God just than the knowledge that God loves me, that I should love God. There is a thing called obedience. There is a thing called judgment. Uh, just as much as there's a heaven, there is a hell. Just as, as much as heaven is wonderful, hell is awful. And we have to have the teaching and the preaching on both things. Amen. Uh, and we got to have that. So Paul said, uh, my preaching to you was complete. I didn't keep back anything uh, that was profitable uh, for you. Uh, notice uh, along the way, uh, there was his conversation. That conversation is a Bible word that means his lifestyle He's referring to it again. He said, but have showed you. Paul didn't just preach it. He practiced what he preached. It's that manner of life uh, thing again. Uh, the Bible has an awful lot to say uh, about this. Turn if you would. I'm going to try to keep it in order. Let's go to 2 Corinthians 1. 2 Corinthians 1. And look in verse 12. For our rejoicing is this, the testimony of our conscience, that in simplicity and godly sincerity, not with fleshly wisdom, but by the grace of God, we have had our conversation in this world and more abundantly to you word. What Paul is saying there is we have a clean conscience, he said, and, and that's a good thing to have. That's our rejoicing. It's a wonderful thing when you know you did right. It's a wonderful thing to lay your head on the pillow at night and know that you did your best. It's a great thing to know that you have nothing to be ashamed of. Um, have you ever done anything wrong and then you walk around wondering if everybody else knows about it and, and you're, you, you just, you know, that guilt's creeping up on you? Regrets are a really hard thing to live with. And Paul's saying, here's the testimony of our conscience. It's the rejoicing of our heart that our conversation, that word again means our entire lifestyle, um, has not been according to what the world said was okay, but by the grace of God, it's been right to you and towards everybody else. That whole idea of a good conversation. Look, if you would, to Philippians chapter 1. And verse 27, Paul is admonishing us now, only let your conversation, it's not just talking about our dialogue, but the way that we live, everything included, only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ, that whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs, that ye stand fast in one spirit, with one mind striving together for the faith of the gospel." Let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ. 
you know that the even the unsaved world has a pretty good idea what Christians are supposed to be like? How many, how many knew that? Uh, they know that Christians are supposed to tell the truth. They know that Christians are supposed to um, treat people well. They know that Christians don't have dirty mouths. They, they may not agree with everything. That, that they may not like all of our standards of separation and so forth. But they have a generally pretty accurate idea of the way Christians are supposed to be. Mahatma Gandhi, how many know the name? A powerful leader in India back in the 1920s and 30s. There was a time when Mahatma Gandhi uh, held the conscience of most of the Indian people. I read the other day that India has now surpassed China as the most populated country in the world. Um, India was for uh, many decades, maybe as, as much as a couple centuries, uh, owned, controlled, and influenced by Great Britain. Um, missionaries like William Carey, the father of modern missions, went to India and established uh, uh, great missions works, and, and, and a lot of missionaries followed. Henry Martin uh, was a great missionary of that same time period in the, in the 1800s and so forth. And uh, so there was a lot of influence uh, from Christians. In, uh, England used to be the missionary uh, sending capital of the entire world. Now it's a mission field. Um, but Mahatma Gandhi made the statement. He said, I would be a Christian were it not for Christians. I would be a Christian were it not for Christians. He expounded that he actually believed that the teachings of Jesus Christ uh, were superior to any teachings that there were. And he would have embraced it. But he had encountered so many people who professed that they were Christian but all they were doing was plundering the Indian people, stealing national treasures, mis mistreating the people, and so forth. And he looked at how they lived. He looked at their conversation, and it did not become, it was not fitting for someone who claimed the name of Christ. Paul writes to us here, says, let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ. Uh, you are the only gospel and the only Bible that some people are ever going to read. Your life. You've got neighbors, co-workers, family members, classmates. And you may be the only, the only opportunity they ever have of having a Christian influence. Paul says, you make sure that your lifestyle, your conversation is, is fitting for Christians so that what they're seeing is the real deal. Turn, if you would, to 1 Timothy 4. We were in 2 Timothy, we'll be 1 Timothy 4.12. Let no man despise thy youth. This is for young people. Now, Timothy wasn't a teenager. He was probably in his 30s at this time, maybe a tad older. Let no man despise thy youth, but be thou an example of the believers in word, in conversation, in charity, in spirit, in faith, in purity. Doesn't matter how old we are, how young we are, our conversation needs to be a good testimony. It needs to be a good example for Christ. Look, if you went to James chapter 3. James chapter 3. 
Verse 13, who is a wise man and endued with knowledge among you? Let him show out of a good conversation his works with meekness of wisdom. There's a whole lot contained in that one verse. How do, how do people know that we are wise? How do people know that we know God, that we know the Bible, that it's real in us? It's out of our conversation. A good conversation, his works, what you do. What you do says a whole lot more than what you say sometimes. Let him show out of a good conversation his works with meekness. There's that humility again. Meekness of wisdom. Does it line up with the Bible? Is there a humility? Or is there a self-righteousness about the way you go about things? Uh, I'm better than you are type uh, spirit. But if you have bitter envying and strife in your hearts, glory not and lie not against the truth. You can't get along with people. There's bitterness. You're jealous and there's strife. This wisdom descendeth not from above. That didn't come from God, but is earthly, sensual, devilish. For envying and strife is, there is confusion and every evil work. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. So over and over again, the New Testament stresses the importance of our conversation. Yeah, our words need to be right, that, that kind of a conversation. But remember, the Bible word is more than just our words, it's our works as well. It's, it's the complete package. Back in Acts chapter uh, 20, I want to try to finish this passage um, uh, before we end tonight. Uh, Paul in his preaching talks about his com uh, the completeness of the preaching. And then this conversation, I showed you, I lived and practiced what I preached. And he said, and I have taught you publicly and from house to house, testifying both to the Jews and also to the Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. Everywhere he went, he took the gospel. He didn't just talk about it at church, door to door, house to house. When he went to their homes, he was talking about the things of the Lord. When he went to the homes of Jews or Greeks, didn't matter. He had one message that he wanted everybody to hear. And that was the message that you need to repent of your sins and trust Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. Now, time slipping away. We're going to pick up at verse 21 next Wednesday. The doctrine of repentance is almost a dirty word amongst some people today. Um, you know, they, they say if you use the word repentance, that you're adding works to salvation. It's like, well, I guess Paul must have had it wrong when he said repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. Um, and uh, so we're, we're going to pick that up. But Paul is reminding them that his, his heartbeat was the gospel to see people saved. And that church accomplished it as very few churches in the history of the world have ever done. Everybody in Asia heard the word of the Lord. What a challenge to us today. What a challenge to us. But it was more than just a burden on his heart. It was his entire lifestyle. We need to live in such a way that those we come in contact with can say, at all seasons, you've been right. That at all seasons, you've stayed faithful. At all seasons, you stayed, you, you stayed true to the word of God at all seasons. 
you stayed patience. At all seasons, you kept your joy. That at all seasons, you, you lived for God. You weren't up one day and down the next. You weren't right with God when you were with the crowd that was right, but with another crowd, then you lived a different way. No matter where you were, no matter where you were, you were the same for the Lord. Paul said that is the rejoicing of our heart that we have that kind of a testimony. And guaranteed, that will be the rejoicing of our heart for us to maintain that kind of a, maintain that kind of a testimony. We're going we're gonna to stop there tonight. I know those chairs are not the...